Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with James Ward discussing many things, Google Cloud Platform and Kotlin. Hi, James. Hey, Hadi. Thanks for having me. Great oh, to thank be here. you for coming on. I, I'm surprised we didn't uh, we didn't do this sooner, actually. Um, I know. Yes, it's uh, it's great to have you on the show. Um, and you know, I've known you for a for a long time. Uh, you've long you've time. had a very uh, fruitful career in different paths. But it would be great if, like, the folks on the show get to know you a little bit more in your past because I think your past is very interesting. Yeah. Especially you've ended up in the whole uh, Kotlin space. So tell us a little bit about yeah. yourself. Yeah, so I've been a Java developer for a long time since like Servlet 1.0 and um, actually a long time ago created the first Servlet hosting uh, service. So we, we had the service where we host people's Servlets for them and it was it was terrible. Um, but but uh, yeah, so I've been doing Java for a long time and then got into Flex, Adobe Flex way back in the day. And I think that's probably around the time that I, I first interacted with you, um, but was doing Java and Flex together for, for a while. And then obviously Flash and Flex just died. Which Flash was is dead? Oh my God. What's Flash? What is Flash? <laughs> uh, there are people listening to this podcast that probably don't even know what Flash is. Okay. It's true. Yeah, it is true. Exactly. Yeah. Which is sad yeah. for us, right? Because it well, shows just, how old you are. It was the thing before Slack that used all the CPU. So yeah, yeah. So Flash was the old was Electron. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I still, I still miss Flex. It was, it's still my favorite UI programming environment I've ever used. But um, but yeah. So so did a lot of Java and Flex stuff, and then uh, went to Heroku after that, and got back into cloud things and started doing Java on Heroku stuff. Um, and then after that, I went to well, I got into Scala while I was via Play Framework while I was at Heroku, uh, right? while I was at Heroku, and then I went to work for TypeSafe, which is now called Lightbend, uh, with the, the Scala folks there, and had a blast doing Scala and um, learning functional programming and and all that. Although I didn't really know functional programming when I was there, I was I was basically writing Scala like I write Java, um, but uh, but then went back to Heroku. For a while and then i've been at google cloud for a year and a half doing doing uh mostly kotlin on google cloud now is is the, the primary focus so um, when so you yeah. went back to heroku was that after or because you were at salesforce as well right but was that under the heroku salesforce, yeah salesforce heroku. Yeah. yeah so heroku was bought by salesforce before i went there the first time and so i always kind of straddled both heroku and salesforce and did a bit of both and and taught people how to use them together and uh and that sort of thing so it was great because like salesforce is an amazing company they do a lot of great stuff but they're very plugged into enterprise and so so it was great to be able to to combine like enterprise with cloud and, and all that kind of stuff there so that's fun enterprise are the other people that 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 pay money for stuff right the money tree yeah. they figured out the money tree of getting getting people with money to pay every month for a service it's pretty amazing and sometimes we don't even use the service but hey let's just pay anyway it's, it's easier than take it through the whole channel and yep. figure out and having come from scala are you one of these folks that wants Kotlin to become Scala? <laughs> uh, there's so my my 
My preferred language is Scala. I love writing Scala, but it took me a long time to get there. Uh, and I don't think that most people are going to be willing to like go on that journey or have the time and energy to go on that journey to Scala. It just it it is a very powerful language, but that power comes a, a trade-off of being very challenging to learn. Um, and so so I think that Kotlin is the best opportunity to for most people to get a lot of what I was doing in Scala, uh, but in a much more approachable way. And so that's a big reason why I've focused a lot on Kotlin lately is that it, it gives me a lot of the same features that I like out of Scala, but is just so much more approachable than than the Kotlin is so much more approachable than Scala. So, um, so yeah, things like like uh, like coroutines. Uh, we Scala doesn't exactly have coroutines, but it has uh, some some similar techniques for dealing with concurrency that are so much better than than how we do concurrency in Java usually. And so um, so yeah, just that one example. Things like like option. God, like I know like Java has optional now, and um, but people don't really use it. Uh, but but yeah, like like having having option is as part of the core language is is a great great thing. So, so yeah, there's a lot of great things that I appreciate in Kotlin. Uh, Arrow, uh, for people that want to go crazier with the functional programming stuff, Arrow is great and allows people to do it. And so, so yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think Kotlin is awesome. Yeah, really Arrow is, uh, for folks that don't know, I mean, we've covered it in a couple of shows on, on Talking Kotlin. You know, that that podcast that you never listened to, James, that you just reminded <laughs> me. Um, what podcast is that? <laughs> Well, podcasts, yeah, exactly. Uh, you're on uh, GCP Dialogues. Hey, th there's a name for a new podcast for you. Um, so, yeah, Arrow is kind of like a functional library uh, that uh, the folks that actually it was by it's by 47 degrees who are a big Scala shop, yeah. Uh, yeah. and they're doing Android, so they're using Kotlin as well, and they, they kind of brought some of the stuff. It's also the folks behind one of the most famous uh, keeps of Kotlin, which is Keep eighty seven, uh, which is trying to add type classes to to Kotlin. Nice. Yeah. Oh, how's that one going? I want type classes. It's it's going. I mean, it's there on GitHub. I don't know. I yeah. I, I stopped watching it. <laughs> so. <laughs> so not one dot four. Yeah, it's not one of these ones. You know, every time you get like a plus one, you you get a notification, and like, okay, just 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 whatever. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, cool. And now, so you're a Google Cloud Platform. And um, so just for folks that aren't aware of this, yes, Kotlin is not just for Android. No, uh, Kotlin wasn't a language for Android. And you can use it on other stuff as well, including the cloud, which is what I like and you like and server-side stuff. Yep. And so yep. what are you doing there? I mean, what are you doing, you personally there at, at, at GCP? Yep. And then we can get into like what there is for Kotlin. Yeah. 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 So my, my, uh, the biggest place where I've been involved is around gRPC Kotlin. And so this is gRPC library. So being able to do RPC calls, uh, from, uh, with proto buffs underneath the covers for how you structure your data. And then it generates Kotlin idiomatic wrappers around the Java gRPC stuff. And, uh, so, so I've been using that and building samples for that. And it's pretty cool because you can do use gRPC to communicate from Android to a gRPC server in Kotlin, uh, or you can just use gRPC Kotlin on the server with whatever client that you want, uh, or microservices, whatever. So, so that's the place where, I, where I've, um, done the most. And then I have, I've 
played with all the different server frameworks and their Kotlin support and made sure that they run well on Google Cloud and all that. So Spring Boot, Micronaut, Corcus, and Ktor, and and all those are awesome on Google Cloud with Cloud Run is where I've I've done those. Um, and yeah, it's it's great. It's fun. I've built a few different like real applications with with those. I think most of the real applications I used Micronaut. Um, with Kotlin, uh, and Micronauts, a, it's a nice developer experience. Very kind of familiar if you're doing if you're used to dependency injection um, way of building things. Uh, they have good support for coroutines. I just discovered Corcus doesn't seem to really have support with Kotlin support for coroutines, which was kind of a bummer. Um, but uh, then Ktor is is been Built great uh, from, I, with coroutines. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's obviously a lot more idiomatic Kotlin. Whereas, like, I I I don't love dependency annotation based dependency injection. Um, it's not my preferred style of of wiring things together. And so, there are some things in Ktor that I appreciate just because they're more idiomatic Kotlin um, than than Micronaut and Spring Boot um, and Corcus. So. So yeah, uh, so I've been playing with all those and, and on Google Cloud, and and it's it's been great. It's been been fun. Um, done a bunch of talks about about using Kotlin on the server, uh, and I'm part of the the GDE Kotlin program. So we have the Google Developer Expert program with a Kotlin category, and we're working with JetBrains on that. And so so I'm the the like um, I don't know board member thing for the server side part of that uh and so so that's been great to be getting more server side focused gdes on uh, into the kotlin side of things so it's not all just android um so, so yeah so lots of lots of fun stuff happening so um, you're the person that people need to kind of take out for drinks if they want to what's weird is like like you, well the, you can't nowadays take anyone out for a drink well right? sure <laughs> that i would love i would love any any bribes or whatever but actually it doesn't help at all because the the gde yeah. program is is pretty bureaucratic in its uh its acceptance procedures and so if i refer somebody to the program i actually have no say in whether they actually get in and so um and I, I think I that's referred, great by the way i think it's really good yeah um, it's, it, is. It, it keeps out the um favoritism the and, uh, frater yeah. favoritism uh fraternity brother culture of, yeah. uh that, that can definitely develop uh i referred bruce eckel um recently and and uh there were some challenges with with his application mostly it's that he just he didn't fill out the actual like details on what he contributed and so, so they denied him i was like oh oh dear oh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i need to go back to bruce and ask him to reapply with more details in his application but you know i have to say in all fairness because i'm i'm involved in it a little bit as well you know from the JetBrain side because we we recommend people and i and i work closely with uh florina as well on it and yeah you know i i've seen the process and it is it is very bureaucratic but it yep. is a good thing because you yep. actually know that people that are getting through generally know what they're talking about. Whereas yep. some other yep. programs from some other companies that I'm not going to mention, it, sometimes you wonder, right? Um, yep. But yep. anyway. Yeah. 
Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, so that's been good to get more server side focused there and, and I'm definitely looking to expand that. So if anyone is interested in becoming a Kotlin uh, developer expert, um, then ping me on Twitter or wherever and, uh, and I'll send you the information. Um, you just have to be a, somebody who is a, uh, who is, who is actively helping the community learn Kotlin. And um, yeah, I think that's that's kind of the primary thing. Is we want people who represent Kotlin and and uh, help people learn it. So, yeah. Nice. So I got to say something um, around GCP itself, uh, and I'm not trying to like uh, kiss up or anything, <laughs> but I have to say, you know, I recently was using another cloud platform, which I won't <laughs> mention the name. <laughs> And it's just completely night and day in terms of yeah. usability, right? It really yeah. is. I yeah. mean, as a non-cloud savvy, if that's even a word, a non-cloud savvy person that, you know, I haven't really been part of the ops aspect of things, it's so much easier, more straightforward and clear yeah. to operate with yeah. GCP than it is with some of the competitors. Yeah. So kudos yeah. to that because you really have made uh, the the interface and the whole process simple and and as, as smooth as possible. I mean, given the complexity yep. that it is involves, right? Right. Um, it yeah. is. It's really yeah. Nice. It's always hard to to deliver a simple, concise interface to something that is a inherently complex thing. Like getting something running in a scalable fashion like there's a there's a whole lot of complexity around that and so to to present that in an easy way is is definitely challenging but yeah i feel like like uh, google cloud has done a good job of that um my bar is pretty high because i come from heroku and so which was so awesome I, I, which was yeah. awesome like talk yeah. about simple deployment and getting things running right yeah you know? yeah yeah, I mean Heroku's developer experience is is just so good, and yeah. so so I've got very high bars for that. But I'm I'm definitely happy to be at Google Cloud and enjoying. Uh, I've been learning Kubernetes and and Knative and Cloud Run and all these other cloud things. So so it's been it's been fun. There's a lot of a lot of fun toys to play with, and and uh, definitely things that make my life easier. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like not having to to think about scaling and and deployment and, and you know CI/CD pipelines just being pretty automated now is pretty awesome. Yeah. But having said that, like the rate of innovation with most of these cloud providers are are sometimes a little bit overwhelming and that you know you start you learn one technology and by the time you come to deploy your application you suddenly realize oh no they've come out with something different and now if you want right. to do that you should probably use to this you know like right. you know some people ping us and they say uh, you deprecated an api that we were using 7 years ago i'm like have you looked at cloud providers like from the time right. you hit deploy to the time it's run it's already like it's gone the feature's gone there's a new one right. out <laughs> yeah so, yeah the the pace is very it's, it's fast. fast it's very fast yeah slow down slow down yeah. uh, but anyway uh, um yeah. so i wanted to ask you a couple of things about because you mentioned grpc and uh and kotlin so you have a wrapper around that a little bit right Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a so the way that the gRPC works is it uses Proto C, which is the Proto Buff compiler. So it takes 
the protobuf definition files, which are like a um, a syntax for defining RPC endpoints and the messages between those that you can uh, call with those endpoints. And then what what protobuf does is then generate classes to to then uh, so the from your code you can interact with that. And so there's this proto C compiler that will generate from a protobuf file generate the java files and then there's there's proto c plugins for for every every language and so we added a kotlin proto c compiler which which generates the kotlin uh, idiomatic wrappers around those protobuf um, uh, files as well and so so that's um, so it still is based on the java one which is one of the things i hope to do with this project is to is to get it to support multi-platform because today because it's based on the java stuff it doesn't support the multi-platform so that's one of the directions that I, I hope we can take that project but um but today it's built on the java uh, grpc stuff and do you find i mean is rpc still heavily used i mean you use it a lot at google yourselves and and externally do you find a lot of people using it yeah i think um if you compare it to like rest i think most people are just doing rest but there there is uh there is some people who have have found the inherent challenges with rest and have looked for something different and and grpc is one great option there yeah. uh, another one is is r socket would be a, an alternative to grpc um which is i think that one's sponsored by VMware Pivotal folks, uh, and I think there are some other um, contributors to that. So, so there are some alternatives. Another option would be like from my world in TypeSafe, uh, you could use actors and Aka remote re remote actors is yeah. another way to to achieve the same sort of thing. So there's 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 some alternatives out there, but but by and large, most people are doing REST. Um, but there's there's some challenges with REST for sure. Yeah. And uh, and by REST, uh, generally that's not uh, pretty URLs with JSON, right? It's the whole uh, RESTful constraints that you you're gonna have to apply there. Yeah. Well, as an example, like in, like REST has no no concept of streaming, and so but gRPC does. So you you can in gRPC define uh, either something that takes a stream as an input, returns a stream, or does both. And because it's based on HTTP two underneath the covers, it's really easy to support those streaming protocols. Whereas REST is all request response. And so you know in some use cases that's sufficient, but in some you you really want to be able to to do service to service streaming or service to client streaming that kind of thing. And so gRPC makes that easy. So. Yeah, um, that's just one example. So in Kotlin, the gRPC Kotlin project exposes those streams as a flow through the Flow API, which is super nice to to be able to interact via the Flow API with streaming gRPCs. On GCP itself, you know, a lot of the things that you do, I mean, if you go into the website and uh, we were just talking about the control panel and it's nice and clean and informative, uh, but generally folks that are using that, they're probably interacting with that programmatically, right? most of the operations that you do, yeah? Like command line? Yeah, like command line yep. or, yeah. Uh, so yeah. is it mostly command line? I mean, or are, are people also like somehow integrating it within, within their build pipelines uh, using, I don't know, SDKs or anything like that or not? Yeah, so most of the automation 
is done through the command line. So there's a there's a Docker container that contains the command line, and then you can build automation pretty easily on top of that, or you could you know install the the G Cloud command line however you want. But but I think most automation is is done through through that that G Cloud client. There is the the actual APIs underneath the covers, which you could certainly use um, as well. Um, for me, I actually don't use the G Cloud command line that often. I mostly use the web interface, and then I build automation around the command line, uh, CI/CD pipeline, that kind of stuff. So that so that I'm not doing a lot of like manual tasks, manual deployments, that kind of stuff. For the projects that I work on, I set up CI/CD, and then I'm you know I'm not typing like G Cloud run deploy or anything. I, my my CI/CD pipeline does that for me. But but yeah, underneath the covers, it's doing the G Cloud run deploy for me. Right. So under the covers, it's still using the command line, right? You're just yeah, doing yeah, exactly. That. Just and, automating. And yeah, you don't find people are are using the APIs directly? Are you I mean do you expose those at all or not? They are exposed, and you can use them directly. And there is client libraries around them. So there's great Java client libraries and other client libraries, other language client libraries around them. And so you you can use those directly. I think actually underneath the covers, so you can do the REST endpoint to those APIs, but but they also provide a gRPC interface to those as well. So I think when you're using the client libraries, you're actually using gRPC underneath the covers and not the REST API. But if you were building your own, uh, which I've I've a few times built my own like client to the Google APIs, Google Cloud APIs, and I just you know hit the REST API, it's pretty straightforward. So. Um, so yeah, but but the client libraries actually use gRPC. Yeah, and I mean the reason I was asking is because you know that leads to my next question is I was thinking, would there be place for idiomatic DSL around GCP with these SDKs, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so because the the client libraries that are generated for Java are generated from the gRPC. Uh, protobufs and so so they they if you're interacting with them from java you know it's fine it's like builders and and all the like you know that kind of stuff but from kotlin it feels a little weird because we're not using we don't have a kotlin specific client library yeah and so you use the java one but then you don't get coroutines you don't get like the null safety kind of pieces and and some of those. So so what would be really nice is if we could actually use gRPC Kotlin to generate our our client libraries for specifically for client uh, a Kotlin version of those, but we haven't done that yet. Is that on the roadmap some, or is that kind of like it's open source, just someone contribute it, please? Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. Um I, it's something we've talked about, but I don't know if it's I don't know if it's actually on a roadmap yet. The 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 more the the task that I've been pushing more on lately is actually around making sure that the client libraries support GraalVM well, and so that I've I've been pushing for that to be a higher priority than the actual like Kotlin idiomatic ones, um, just because the the Java ones they're they're not like awesome, but at least they work. And they're uh, I've been able to make those client libraries work in GraalVM native image, uh, but there's a lot of challenges to doing that. And so that's where I'm hoping we we put more energy uh, sooner is, is in getting the GraalVM uh, native image support. Really great. And talking about multi-platform, and now that you bring up Graal, what? Backends, like I mean, what platforms do you support right now when it comes to Kotlin on GCP? 
So the so there's a lot of different pieces of GCP. There's uh, there's everything from raw compute, and then there's uh, GKE, the Kubernetes engine, which just takes Docker containers and runs them. And then what I use most of the time is called Cloud Run, and Cloud Run also takes Docker containers and runs them. And so in that case, you can run anything you want uh, on Cloud Run. It doesn't as long as you give it a Docker container, it'll run it. And so yeah. if you look at all of our like Kotlin samples for Micronaut, Ktor, Corcus, and Spring Boot, and gRPC, Kotlin, all of those just, just have a way to generate a Docker container. And I think on all of those, I'm using build packs to do that. You could also use Jib to do that, which is another tool, uh, build tool for Maven and Gradle for, for generating uh, Docker containers, or you can just use a regular Docker file. Um, but I, I like build packs. It's nice to not have to do anything special for a project. You just say, Build pack, turn this into a container, and it, it does what it what does. To do, can so. you expand a little bit on build pack for those folks not? Yeah, familiar? so so um, build packs are something that Heroku invented a long time ago. They invented it actually when they added Java support for Heroku. Was they needed to have some way to. Uh, to make the process of going from source code to something that can run on Heroku something that is um, is customizable and extensible. And so Heroku created this thing called build packs. And build packs are just a, a, a standard way to detect that a project is of a certain type. So it's a Java Maven project or it's a Python project or whatever. And then do the compile uh, know where the artifacts that are needed to actually run that program are. And then in the case of the original Heroku, uh, the original Heroku build packs, the output of a build pack was, was essentially just some files on the file system. And then Heroku would package those up into, to basically a zip file. And then that's how they would do their, their deployments. Um, but what Heroku did, well, so uh, Pivotal started using build packs for for the Cloud Foundry platform. And then there was kind of these two branches of build packs that were not compatible. And so Pivotal and Heroku came together and took the idea of build packs to the CNCF, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, and is incubating a standard around build packs. And so now there's the Heroku build packs that are based on the CNCF standard. There's the Pivotal build packs that are based on the CNCF standard. And now Google Cloud has our build packs as well, which are based on that standard. And so really what the build packs do is just, they can just take any arbitrary source that it knows and can turn that source code into something into a docker container uh, and then that that docker container can be run on kubernetes or on cloud run or anywhere that can run a container uh, or you know just docker uh, locally or whatever you want to do but it's just a container at that point so it's all the in the case of like a kotlin ktor application what goes into that that um the container is the operating system, the JVM, and then the jar files that are needed to actually run the application. So all those are put into basically a zip file, uh, which is the, the container. Um, so in the world of containers, you need the, the full kind of operating system and everything up to the application uh, in the container. And it doesn't it has layering, so it doesn't actually have a zip file with everything in it. It, it layers 
containers on top of containers. And so, but the nice thing about layering is that then you get good cacheability of your containers. Uh, yeah. And so anyways, in the case of, in the case of build packs, it's going to, if you run it on a KTOR project with Gradle, it's going to have a layered container that has like, I don't know, Ubuntu or some variant of that as the base and then uh, open JDK or something like that. And then the jar files for your dependencies and then the jar files for your application all in different layers. So there's good cache and validation pieces okay but that. but going back to supported platforms and and you're absolutely right i mean i think i should have been more accurate with the question um because there, there's two aspects there i want to touch up on uh google cloud functions as well uh, but with, with this idea of containers and build pack essentially this is right now limited to jvm right because i mean if i take for example a ktor application that is going to run on javascript it's not going to know how to handle this or is it as long as you can put it into a container and start it, then then That's it'll it. run fine on on anywhere that runs a container. Yeah, uh, I haven't I haven't tried a Ktor JavaScript application, Nor but we should build it. <laughs> um, but we we should. Um, it would be it would be interesting. Uh, what I have tried along these lines is is using GraalVM native image. So GraalVM. Uh, when you when you use GraalVM native image, what you can do is take jar files and turn them into a native executable. And usually what is done in this case is you create that native executable and it still runs on some like minimal operating system. So you see so in your Docker container, you'd have the minimal operating system and then you'd have your native executable created by, by GraalVM. Yeah. Um, and but there's another really cool thing that you can do with GraalVM, which the the Go community uh, I think does pretty often, is you can actually create an executable that has no dependencies on an operating system, and what it does is it it adds into that any native bindings that are needed, and which are pretty minimal, like like a couple megs of 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 native bindings, but it puts all that stuff into a single binary. So I've been able to take Kotlin applications with GraalVM and have a container that has no operating system, just has a single binary in it, which is like like 16 megs or something like that. And so my whole container is 16 megs. I don't need any operating system, uh, nothing. So um, I have a blog on jamesword.com uh, about doing this in particular, but with some examples up there. But, but so it's pretty cool what you can do with GraalVM. So that those containers can run on Kubernetes, can run on Cloud Run. And so so if we can run those, I think we could run anything, really anything that much. can run in a Docker yeah. container. Yeah. And what about cloud functions? You call them cloud, so Google cloud done, functions, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Google Cloud Which functions. I haven't done a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. I haven't done a lot with with cloud functions. So for me, Cloud Run is gives me what I need and allows me more flexibility than functions. So with, with a function, you deploy just a single function. Obviously, that's the whole whole kind of point of it. And then functions, uh, you're a instance. So there's always an instance, right? There's like, a, you've got to have compute underneath the covers. And so with functions, you, you have an instance that runs your, your thing that you run on functions. And it, it has a concurrency of one. So what that means is that when there's a request open to to that that process, there's a single instance handling a single request, uh, which to me is too limiting. Like I'm on the JVM, I've got 
NIO, like I, I should be able to handle a lot more than one concurrent request on a single instance. And so Cloud Run, on the other hand, it allows uh, many con uh, concurrency. I think the default is 80 or something like that concurrency to a single instance. And so, so I get that concurrency out of the box. I don't have to, uh, uh, which allows me to not get as many cold starts and that kind of thing. Um, but uh, so on Cloud Run, I have everything without the limitations of single concurrency and single function. And so I haven't done much with, with functions. Um, and I, I don't know a lot about what they support in terms of like, can you run a container or uh, I know you like give it source code, and I think they're actually using build packs now to turn that source code into a container. But I don't know if you can just give it an arbitrary container or not. I I just haven't haven't done much with it. So for me, uh, Cloud Run is sufficient. So yeah. I haven't done much. So. I mean, I know that it supports uh, Kotlin functions for sure, um, because we were oh good, we, we, okay, we were, yeah. Uh, we were uh, well. I mean, it supports Kotlin. You can run Kotlin. You can run Google Cloud functions. You 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 can run the Google functions using Kotlin code. Uh, because in okay. fact, uh, last cool. May at uh, I.O., remember those days when you used to travel and there was conferences That's and right. that, um, yeah. we were oh. doing this demo with Ray on this. Um, but it's funny, it, it reminds me of the CGI days. Remember CGI's? Oh, right? yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, and then Pearl CGI. Yeah, and then the ISAPIs came out and you're like, wow, I can yep. have one instance and a multiple requests, you know? <laughs> yep. Yep, yep. <laughs> it just exactly. keeps going around in circles, huh? We just okay. call it something yep. different. The pendulum swings back and forth. I know, yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah, so so I haven't done much with functions just because for, for my uses, Cloud Run is, is sufficient, or Kubernetes. I've used Kubernetes um, in a number of cases, and, and, and it's... Uh, it, there's a lot of criticism around Kubernetes, but there there are times when it's nice to be able to peel back the layer of abstraction and get more flexibility. So, just as an example, I had an application where I was I needed to do HTTP chunked responses, and Cloud Run didn't support uh, chunked responses. I don't know. I haven't looked lately to see if it does or not now, but but it didn't support chunked responses, and I needed chunked responses because I was doing server send events, and so I just ended up using Kubernetes with with uh, something called Cloud Run for Anthos, which is um, based on an open source project called Knative, which is like Cloud Run, but on top of Kubernetes. And so it was nice to be able to peel back that layer. I didn't have to change my container images at all. I didn't have to change how I built my application, but being able to peel back those layers of abstraction as I needed to, it was really nice. Oh, okay. explain to someone that is a complete and utter noob at this, uh, like every time I hear Kubernetes, I run and, and hide because, like, I, and it's out of, it's fear of the unknown, right? It's not because yep. I just yeah, for but sure. Like high level, when would I need Kubernetes? Yeah, yeah. So uh, if we if we roll back in time to the days where I used to be a sysadmin and, and used to manage servers, that we would have we would well way back in in long ago, we would we would manually manage our servers. So we would have these servers that, oh my God, if that thing, like if all the drives on that thing crashed, like we're, we're we are up uh, a creek. And so, so we would manually manage everything. If we needed to update packages, we'd SSH in, and then we would update the packages on that machine. Then we'd have to go do it again on this other machine. Yeah. And so, um, 
so then there were tools that came out that allowed you to to kind of broadcast updates and changes to a fleet of servers so at least you weren't having to like manually manage that but there but there weren't good abstractions around um like scaling around uh application deployment being able to have like an http service that could route to new versions um like so there, there was all these th so it made management easier but what kubernetes brought was this higher level of abstraction where we're no longer thinking about like okay i'm going to broadcast these changes to this fleet of servers what i think about instead is uh is i have a container image so i've got my docker container image and i want kubernetes to run that somewhere and i don't really care what machine it runs on but i'm going to tell it that i want it to find on a cluster of machines uh so many uh a machine uh, a vm on a machine with four gigs of ram and with so many cpus etc and so you just tell kubernetes and you do this through the very loved yaml files you tell it I want this container image to be run somewhere. And then you can tell it how many replicas you want of that uh, of that image running. And then it'll it'll go find the resources to run that many replicas. So if you say, I want 10 instances of this, then you you put that into your YAML and it will go find places to run on the cluster of those 10 instances. So it's a whole higher level of abstraction for how you manage and deploy onto a cluster of machines. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's Kubernetes in a nutshell. And then there's even higher levels of abstractions on top of Kubernetes. So uh, things like Knative are adding some of the platform as a service kind of elements on top of Kubernetes. So things like being able to do auto scaling from zero to whatever, like Cloud Run does, um, the ability to, uh, based on, you know, HTTP requests coming in, that sort of thing. The ability to do uh, multiple deployments for Canary deploys, uh, A-B testing, that kind of thing that kind of thing um blue green deploys and so so it has knative adds even higher levels of abstractions on top of the raw kubernetes stuff and then there's all these other things built on kubernetes because if kubernetes is just this this way to deploy things run things on a cluster you could really build anything on top of it and so there's there's ways to do databases so there's like a postgres operator there's a kafka operator there's and an operator is just creating a higher level of abstraction for a specific um, uh, technology. So, so the, almost everything has an operator at this point so that it makes it really easy to, to run stuff on top of Kubernetes. So yeah. anyways, that's uh, Kubernetes in a nutshell. It's just higher level of abstraction over a cluster of machines and, and running things on it. Yeah, I remember back in the old days, I used to, one of my jobs was working at an ISP and we used to have like, you know, uh, five Windows machines and it was Windows NT at the time and yeah. then Linux machines. Yeah. And yeah, we had to go and log in manually. We had like a little, you know, computer yeah. on the rack and then yep. we would just basically yep. switch. Like pull out keyboard. <laughs> yeah, and, pull and, out uh, keyboard and you would switch with yeah. this like 20 switch exactly. monitor thing. Yeah, yep, the yeah. huge KVM. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yep, man, things exactly. have changed been there things have changed so you but you yeah. mentioned yaml uh just just for our listeners if <laughs> if you are using kubernetes uh, i think that there's a couple of projects on github that have actually created a kotlin dsl around uh configuring kubernetes so you don't yep. have to deal with yeah. yaml 
Yep. So, yeah, there's there's uh, abstractions in multiple directions. And so one of the abstractions that people have created is a way to not have to write YAML. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's essentially YAML that Kubernetes is managing. Uh, Ray Sang, who you know well, uh, likes to call Kubernetes a a, a content management system <laughs> with workflow. <laughs> and so, so, uh, so underneath the covers, it's like taking this YAML, and then the cluster is figuring out like how to resolve resource allocation based on that YAML document that it's been given and and so there's this whole reconciliation process and all that there um but uh i so i i don't know if ultimately you can avoid the yaml i think maybe maybe you can and i, I don't know about it but um but what a lot of these tools do is they will generate the yaml from something better than yaml something type safe or, yeah. or whatever something with a, a good uh um uh, programmatic model around it and so so yeah there are ways to avoid the yaml for mm -hmm. sure but the uh, general uh, message i guess then is that you know if you are doing kotlin uh, gcp is more than adequately prepared for it and everything runs and and you're there to actually test everything and make sure everything runs yeah that's right yeah exactly yeah cool. and if it doesn't let me know but but yeah it should should uh should all work well um, yeah, and let us know what what needs improvement because this is something that we're that we're focusing on right now is is to how we can improve our Kotlin support and uh, and make it better. So, so yeah. let us know. Yep, and uh, you know I think it's also great because a lot of people again, uh, especially folks that come to Kotlin via Android, uh, always think of Kotlin as a language for Android, right? And then they're shocked yep. that they're like, what, you mean I can write server-side applications here as well, right? So, and I think that, <laughs> yeah. you know, and um, even sometimes people say to me like, hey, I, I, we want more non-Android-y uh, shows on your uh, podcast. And now I've been very good <laughs> nice. at that, right? And like, I don't even yeah. do Android. I've, I've literally <laughs> written in my Twitter bio, I don't do Android. Right. That's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, so yeah, there is there is a uh, Google support outside of Android. Uh, you yeah. folks are using Kotlin and um, try it. It's going to be awesome. And honestly, uh, I really have uh, nothing but good things to say about GCP. So kudos to you and the team around that. Thanks. Because uh, Appreciate it looks that. really good. Yeah. Well, I think there's a lot of opportunity right now because there's a lot of legacy Java out there that that people want to modernize. They want to move to the cloud. They want to move to containers. They they they're making all these changes in how they've architected their systems. And Kotlin, I think, right now has a has a huge opportunity to be part of that that change uh, for people that are modernizing Java applications. And, and I, for anyone modernizing Java applications, I think Kotlin is the way to go. Like like do it. It's it's going to make life so much easier. It's easy. Uh, it's I would say pretty easy to migrate from Java to Kotlin because you can write Kotlin like you write your Java. You don't have to like go to coroutines and null safety and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's a pretty easy step to go from Java to Kotlin. And then you can start incrementally as you learn more about Kotlin, start taking advantage of some of the features incrementally. Uh, extension functions. God, I love extension functions. They're great, but, but definitely a concept that I think most Java developers are not necessarily familiar with. So, But it's something you don't have to use right away right you can yeah. just uh, incrementally step into it and you don't have to pull out you know throw out the baby with the bathwater 
You can just essentially exactly add Kotlin as you want, not say, okay, we're going to rewrite this whole thing from scratch, right? Exactly. Which, if you're not a startup, you can't modernize him. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. I think for people modernizing, I think Kotlin is such a great way for them to go. Yeah, cool. Well, running out of time, it was great having you on the show. Uh, Thank you for coming. Uh, If you do end up listening to even a single episode i hope that it is this one and if you do end up <laughs> listening to one then you can come back to the show if you don't i'm gonna have to listen i'm never to gonna invite arrow. you back <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna have to listen to you some before i come back huh no you're fine you're fine but uh, we'll call it uh, we'll just call it gcp dialogues you see I, i've just given you an idea james like you you have to do uh gcp dialogues so Bruce Eckel and I are talking about starting a podcast, but it's not going to be about GCP. It's it's going to be about taking your tweets and dissecting them so that we can understand them. So my tweets, we got it. Yeah, your tweets. Well, and anybody else's. Oh too, right, I'm like, am I that yeah. weird? No. Okay. Yeah. No, but but like finding tweets from you and others that are like, oh, let's let's like let's dissect this a bit because you know we all have tweets that are like. Oh wow, there's a lot kind of packed into this 240 characters or whatever we're allowed now, and and so kind of pulling apart some of that stuff. Um, but, but yeah, you've got some great ones, so we'll 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 get you that on is, our podcast. That when is we start interesting. It. Yes, so it's going to be non-technical podcasts. Well, no, it'll be all developer content. Like, okay, we're not going to take your tweets about like cooking or whatever. Oh, I thought you could take some about my Spanish government criticism. <laughs> 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 yeah, um, but I'm going to yeah, definitely we'll listen to that. I'm definitely going to yeah. listen to that because there's a so, lot so anyway, in the tweet. There is, right? Um, but so that's that's where I want to go with podcasts. We haven't done it yet, but yeah. <laughs> we just talked about it. But um, but GCP dialogues, I'll let somebody else take that one. Yeah. <laughs> I've cool. just said everything I know about GCP. So I'm, I'm and, out it, of and you did it in already. 45 minutes. It's like you're the right? most efficient person ever. <laughs> That's it. That's everything I know. And um, we threw in Kubernetes. Like that's you, right. you actually explain yeah. Kubernetes very well on a top level. Oh, right. No, okay. Well done. Hope. Well done. Okay. Do you want to try Monads next? Oh, hey, let's do it. <laughs> actually, you know what? That's it. You're coming back. You are coming back. I'm not kidding you. You are coming back, and we're gonna do a show on Monads. I have not. Done, okay. I've done one yes. show. I've done one show with the folks from Arrow. Uh, which started nice. with look two plus two is is four, and then ended up with I didn't even understand where we are. Um, so let's do that. Let's actually do a show okay. on moments. All right, we'll do a functional programming. Yes, yeah, yes, especially yeah. from a person that's done Scala and. Um, oh God, we should do that. I, um, yeah, I, this sounds fantastic. Uh, I love functional programming. I'm not very good at explaining it to people. It took me so long to, and I, I'm not even an expert. Like I'm, I'm nowhere near like being like a functional programming guru. But, but I love functional programming. So yeah, let's do that. Let's talk about functional programming and monads and type classes, applicative functors. I don't even know. Chat to you next time. All right. Thanks for having me.